to church with me. And you'll come see my pastor. He's free. Can you imagine if the first century church did that? Hey, you got to come here, Apostle Paul. No, Apostle Paul planted a church and then he moved on to the next. He turned the body loose to do ministry and operate in the giftings and callings in which they were called to operate in. The only time the Apostle Paul came back was to write the ship or to write a letter of correction. That's how much he trusted the body of Christ to be free and to be the heralds of righteousness and to be the people of God in the earth. God wants to bring you into that. That anytime God begins to move in a man's life, it's not to show us how special that man is. It's to show us what's the possibility of my life in my context and in my setting. That it's actually an invitation to the life of God, not to show off somebody so that we can all clap and cheer on. We've got enough entertainment culture. Hello. We need to come up out of entertainment and start being the authenticity of the thing that God's calling us into. And if you'll do that, this church will fill itself up. You won't have to invite nobody because they're going to be like, I smell some fresh bread in the house. Where, where's that bread at? Uh, I've got to, you know how many people come to me and said, I had to pull in. It was on an off, off night and they pulled into our parking lot and said, man, God kept drawing me here. What's that all about? That's called when you seek first the righteousness of God and his kingdom, he adds all these other things unto you. That the only thing he's called you to steward is your relationship with God. He's not called you to control and manipulate people, and that's some of your problem. You've used guilt techniques, you've used uh, love, you've used kindness, you've used all these things, and God's saying, that ain't what I'm asking you to do. You know what I'm asking you to do? Just love me and walk in relationship with me, and the rest of the other stuff takes care of itself. Now suddenly I'm free because I have a God that's opened up the windows of heaven that's ripped the veil. Any separation between me and him has been completely dissolved. Who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Who says, meet me in the secret place, and in the secret place I will award you openly. He doesn't ask you to make a show of things and be impressive to people. He just says, get in the secret place with me and walk in relationship with me. And if you do that, I'll reward you openly. Then people say, man, look at this guy. Look, God's on his life. What's going on there? And you say, yeah, but that ain't me because I'm special. That's for you too. And you need to come into this life with me. Let me show you how. And then it begins to be discipleship begins to be the process and the relationships of our life are based upon the first and foremost relationship. And that's our relationship with God. That if that relationship's right, suddenly every other relationship has hope. Because unless I'm connected to the hope and the source, which is God and is love, unless I'm connected to that source, how in the world can I allow it to flow through me and touch anybody else? So when I operate in the flesh and in my own wisdom, I have to resort to fleshly techniques that don't set anybody free. Guilt, offense. I cannot believe the offense in our world today. You can't talk about nothing without somebody getting upset about something. Jeez, like what are we? We're like we're toddlers fighting over a ball half the time. There's only one offense, and that is me and my relationship with God. Anything else, hey, it is what it is. 
Well, that's a lot easier to manage than other people that I have no control over their free will. So we let the free will of other people dominate us. So guess what our God is? The free will of other people that is actually a gift from God unto them. So now what has been a gift from God for people to find their own way has now become my God because I'm mad about the choices they're making. So now they control me and, I don't, and I've forgotten that I actually serve the king and he's the one that's in charge. That's why the Bible's always saying that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's always at the door, but it's never quite there all the way. Why is that? Because God gives people the choice whether to come in or come out. But the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's in our midst. Are you going to drop everything else and walk through it or not? That, that, that's really the, that's right. the end of it. God's paid for your sin. God's rose from the dead and defeated death. He's even said, I set before you a open door. <laughs> you don't even got to turn the knob. Let me say, I don't even have a strength to turn the knob. You don't even have to have strength to turn the knob. One lady in the scriptures just crawled her way to get to the hem of his garment and she was healed. You don't have to be in upright and impressive. God just says, go through the door, man. Just come in. And it would be in that place of presence that God would begin to transform and begin to make us into his image and make us into the thing ourselves. But what we think is, is that God is only, con uh, only concerned about forgiveness. We say, well, I don't want to go to hell, and I need to be forgiven of my sins, so I'll do, take care of that, and then the rest, I'm on my own on the rest of the stuff. When forgiveness is a part of the gospel, but it's not the whole gospel, God is calling you into his life to walk with him, and to begin to walk a life of the Spirit that actually looks like Him. And not based upon your effort or merit. Based upon the goodness and grace of God. That God says, I'm asking you to do this, but I'm giving you the grace to do it. But what typically happens is, when God begins to ask us to do something, we try to do it in our own strength and not the strength that God provides. So the commandments of God are not a list of yes and or right and wrong and this kind of thing. The commandments of God are an invitation for me to trust that he's going to give me the grace to walk it out in obedience. So even the commandments of God end up being something that's bringing me into relationship with him. I mean, that's it. The cat's out of the bag. I'm going to say this every single week for the rest of y'all's life. All that God wants from you is a relationship. You can know the Bible. You can give your tithe. Thank you, by the way. You can, uh, you can do all these things and still not have relationship with God. But there's no way you can have relationship with God and not have those other things. You see what I'm saying? Is that God is calling us into relationship. He's calling us into the place with him and where we can be affirmed in who we are and be transformed. And then we can begin to step into the reality of walking out his life on the earth. That's what God wants. 
God wants us to walk in the life that God provides. He wants us to walk in that life. That's what he's called us to do. He's called us to walk in life. And we've reduced it to a game of knowledge, right? You remember the book report at school? Oh, man, wasn't that daunting? <laughs> Especially an oral book report where you had to talk about the book. That was daunting. And we turned Christianity into an oral book report. Who knows the most amount of scriptures? And God says, this ain't about an oral book report. This is about who can say, my eyes have seen the glory of God, and I've tasted and seen that God is good, and now my life is marked by his presence. Because we all know what knowledge does. Knowledge puffs up. Some of the smartest people I know are some of the most... Come on, I ain't even going to say it. I'm going to fall into sin just trying to say something like that. Knowledge doesn't equal humility or good life. The only thing that equals good life is when I've partaken into the life of Jesus, when I've been in his presence. Some of you got a head full of scripture and a belly full of sin. And here's your answer. I need to learn more scriptures. No, you need to quit acting like you know something, and you need to humble yourself and admit that you are ignorant according to the life of God, and that you need to humble yourself and lay yourself down at the feet of God and say, God, teach me because I really don't know nothing. People say, Matt, when I read the Bible, I don't get what you see. How do you get that stuff? I don't go into the Bible presupposing what I already know on it. I walk in humility and say, let me read this. God, show me something here because I don't know. But we cut ourselves off from revelation because we know. And nobody can come up to us and tell us any different because we know it all. That's why nobody can give you a word. You've got to be giving everybody else the word all the time. And we posture ourselves in this place of pride, and God says, man, I resist the proud. <laughs> I exalt the humble. But the proud, ugh, can't do much there. So what's God asking you to do? Be impressive? Be smart? Be amazing? No. Nope. Be humble. Well, who wants to do that? Well, you're going to miss out on the beautiful mysteries and the beautiful things of the kingdom of God unless that becomes the posture of your heart and of your life. And when you start walking in humility, you quit thinking you're better than other people. So then this is what happens. You begin to see people as your purpose, not your problem. See, many of us have determined that people are our problem. So what do we got to do with those people that are the problem? Stay away, isolate. 
run them down to other people, or silence them and cancel them. Get out of here. You can't say anything. And when we posture ourselves like that, we suddenly surround ourselves with our, only the people that agree with us and only the people that are like us. And guess what happens? We quit obeying Jesus. How do you say that, Matt? That's going too far. Well, Jesus says, I'm not asking you to love your friends. That's easy. Anybody can do that. I'm calling you into the reality to love your enemies. Suddenly, whoa, God, I can't do that. Oh, thank you. Now I can give you the grace to walk in that kind of love. That all that Jesus is trying to do is bring us to the fundamental value that we are made in the image of God and we can't do it without relationship with him. That that's the knowledge of good and evil in the tree, in the, the tree of... In, in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, it's the knowledge of good and evil, and it's the tree of life. One is an invitation to life and relationship. The other one is, I can choose what's good and bad for myself, and I don't need you to tell me what to do, God. So Adam and Eve took the life, took the good from the life, but didn't want the life of the good. So Jesus comes and hangs on a tree and says, hey, here's the life. I'm going to show you that there's nothing in my heart hidden. I'm stripped down, beaten, naked, bloody, hanging on a cross to show you that there's nothing in me that is not for you. Wow. See, the Old Testament reality was the bride had to show her blood in order to be pure. The New Testament reality is the groom shows his blood. And makes the bride pure. But God showed his everything that he's got no bad motive. He just wants you to be with him. And so when we get a glimpse of that, suddenly I'm free to love people like that. There's no law against love. Why was Jesus palling around with tax collectors and prostitutes? Because he was free to love those that weren't like him. He was free. He knew his job was to walk in love. And that's the same place God's calling us to. That we would quit putting labels on people, but that we would just put another L word on people, and that's love. So why do we put labels on people? Because it frees us from having to love them. So if I slap a label, suddenly I dehumanize them. Now they're less than the image of God, so I don't have to love them. So I just slap a new term on them. 
and it absolves me from having to love them because I've dehumanized them. And God said, everybody's made in the image of God. That that's enough to love them. And then what they do with that is their business. I'm going to get on preaching the gospel and saying Jesus is the only way and that the Bible's the word of God and it's infallible. But if you don't like that, that's okay. I'm still going to love you anyway. But you ain't going to change my mind just because you don't think that ain't walking in love. So you see, I'm still free to love them. I don't have to burn that bridge. But I can still hold my convictions and walk in the integrity of the kingdom of God. That's what God's calling us to. It's an invitation into life. I love what the Apostle Paul says. Follow me as I follow Christ. Or uh, New King James, I think, says it this way. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. I think if I got up here and said, follow me as I follow Christ, you guys would say, you're out of your mind. You're, you're, you're assuming too much. Think about some of the stuff Apostle Paul said. I pray in tongues more than you all. <laughs> Don't tell me about tongues. I'm going to tell you how to use them because I do it more than anybody. What Paul is saying is, is what God is doing in my life isn't special and unique to me. He's saying, if you'll follow me, God will do the same thing in you. So in your life, can you say, follow me as I follow Jesus? What happens is we put the Apostle Paul way up here. and We put Jesus way up here. But didn't Jesus become flesh? And didn't Jesus say, go into all the world and you preach the gospel and make disciples, baptizing them in the Father's and Holy Spirit and teaching them to do everything I commanded? So it sounds like we've got a big part of this mission that's on us. So it's an invitation into life. That Jesus humbles himself to come near and pay for our sins, yes, but also to invite us into the life that only he can give. So that we can be now the children of God. Now the sons of God and daughters of God in the earth. So this is God's invitation. Come hang with me and you're going to be like me. You're going to be like me. And when you start hanging with God, suddenly you start acting like him. You sow mercy where you would have sowed judgment. You sow some grace where you would have just. <laughs> and then suddenly people see you start to walk like that and they say, wait a second here. What's going on there? We had some people doing some work on our house and. One of the guys kept coming in saying, you guys just look so familiar. <laughs> he did, didn't he? He kept. 
bro, where are you from? He said, and I was like, yeah, we know somebody from there, but never really been there. And we tried to do the timelines of how we might have intersected, and nothing was there. We started talking a little bit longer, and come to find out, he was raised in a church and had gotten out. And so he said, you know, it's not that we look familiar, it's that you see on us what you used to have. And that's what looks familiar. That's what looks familiar to you. It's the presence of Jesus. Because we ain't ever crossed paths. But apparently you've met the king at one time in your life. And you understand what meeting the king looks like. And you understand what the space of someone looks like that has had an encounter with the king. <sighs> Moses had to veil his face. But the New Testament reality is we no longer have veiled faces. That anybody can see this glory and be invited in. So instead of worshiping that which you think to be the best, start looking at that as an invitation for you to begin to step into. Because God will give you glimpses of yourself through other people and the giftings that are in you. That's why we end up imitating before we innovate. I used to try to preach like David Wilkerson. Because <laughs> he was the man. And then I figured out God didn't want me to be David Wilkerson. <laughs> but before I got that glimpse, I said, I want what he got. But it was an invitation to start the journey to figure out who I was. So there's relationships built upon respecting the gift in somebody else that you might imitate for a while, but eventually you're going to innovate and begin to cut ties and begin to find out who you are in Jesus. So this was Moses' whole ministry. As he gets along with the Lord and the people just keep messing up. And God says, you know what, Moses? I'm going to give you, I'm going to just give you the blessing, okay? If I keep going with y'all, I'm going to kill y'all. <laughs> and Moses says, but God, what are the nations going to say about you? If you've forsaken us a stiff-necked people. They're going to think you're not loving kindness and tender mercy and full of grace and full of hope and truth. Moses turns the heart of God. It's like God's given us that kind of access. And then Moses says, I know you better than what you're complaining is, God. Show me your glory. <laughs> Like, Moses, who do you think you are? But you know what? God is impressed. He's like, oh, you know me past my words. You know me past my words. 
Yeah. It's why he can tell Abraham to offer his son, and Abraham will say, we'll be back. God, that ain't your heart. I know you better than that. That's why I can pick up my phone and my daughter goes, hey, Siri, call Josh Manus. I wasn't going to say that. Hey, Siri, call Josh Manus. Does the accent and everything. I'm like, what? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> so my daughter's got some little boyfriend in school, and that's what I said. <laughs> and M goes, Will you tell me about this? Yet? Well, friend, that's a boy. Okay. That's, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's how that works. Yeah, that's right. We're just friends. Okay, sure. Until something else happens. Come on now. And uh, Emily looked at me and said, now listen, this boy, these boys you're talking to, if they don't act like daddy, you don't need to be talking to them. And I, and I said, no, you need to do better than me. But then I got to thinking about it. No, that's me abdicating my responsibility of being a father instead of stepping into the role to be the best man that she knows in her life. And that's how we do with God. God says, follow this guy as he follows me. Oh, no, no, don't watch me, man. You need to go find Pastor so-and-so. He can really help you. It's like you just abdicated your privilege to walk into relationship with Jesus and fulfill the destiny and calling on your life because you're still tripping about some sin issue you got. And God says, would you just repent of that and get on into relationship with me and quit shacking up and quit doing all this other stuff? You're missing out on the glory of God in your life. Missing out, man. Missing out. Never did things God's way. Why don't you just start and see what happens? What do you got to lose? Be miserable all by yourself. Come on now. God do it. What are we doing? Are we okay? I think we're okay. Look at that. 12 o'clock on the dot. I better read Philippians and we're going. <laughs> we need this Philippians right here, okay? Okay, Philippians chapter 3. He said, don't make me make these slides for nothing. Okay, you got it, you got it. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. This is just the heart. I just want to get you to get the heart of Paul and in his mission statement in his life. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write this again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. 
Mm. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision. The ones who worship by the Spirit of God. Exult in Jesus Christ. And do not rely on human credentials. See, some of you are trying to find your place according to your credentials. And you introduce yourself with all these credentials. And all that's showing is that you actually trust your credentials more than you trust the hand of God and the Spirit of God on you. Do not rely on human credentials, verse 4. Though mine too are significant. If someone thinks he has good reasons to put confidence in human credentials, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day from the people of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I lived according to the law as a Pharisee. In my zeal for God, I persecuted the church. According to the righteousness stipulated in the law, I was blameless. But these assets I have come to regard as liabilities because of Christ. More than that, I now regard all things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, indeed, I regard them as dung, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not because I have my own righteousness derived from the law, but because I have the righteousness that comes by way of Christ's faithfulness, a righteousness from God that is, in fact, based on Christ's faithfulness. My aim is to know him to experience the power of his resurrection and to share in his sufferings and to be like him in his death. God, let that be the mission statement of our life. That we would know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, and that our death would look like his death. That everything about Christ's life was an invitation for us to walk into. That's why Romans says we were baptized with him through baptism unto death. To be raised into a newness of life by the glory of the Father. That the death and resurrection are invitations for the death of your old self and to the resurrection of a new life in him. That Jesus didn't do what he did for an applause. He did what he did to invite us into the same kind of life. Lord, we just thank you, God, for your presence. I feel like you're just saying, you've said enough, so I'm going to just listen to you. God, I thank you for every single brother or sister here, God. 
God, let them see that your life is an invitation into that experience. That your life is an invitation, God, into the life of God. That, yeah, we might fall down and slip up, but you said the righteous man gets up, falls seven and gets up eight. So our righteousness is not in our falling down. It's each time we trust that we can get back up and follow you. So God, let us find our righteousness in our getting back up and not in the low place of our falling downs. Let us have the courage to trust that you are a good dad (laughs) that walks with us, that loves us, that's patient, that's not looking down on us and disgusted with us, but that is a good father that's wanting to impart life to say greater works than these shall you do. God, let us not run from our responsibility that says... I can't be like that. God, let us step into our responsibility. Let us step into our privilege, which is to know you and to see you as the all-satisfying, glorious, beautiful God who is hopelessly and desperately in love with us. And let us be humbled by that and allow that to shape the posture of our lives that we would be humble image bearers reflecting the goodness and glory of God. Not trying to, but we do it just because it's in our nature. (laughs) We can't help but do it because you've changed our nature. And we've seen how you act and we want to act like you act, God. Forgive us, God. Forgive us. Help us. In Jesus' name. Would you stand to your feet all over this place?